0: Welcome to Empowering Innovation: Trends and Triumphs, a podcast series dedicated to the success and challenges in innovation and growth within the UK tech startup scene. Hey everyone, welcome to the first podcast in our series, Empowering Innovation: Trends and Triumphs. I'm Alex Hanaway of Empowered, and I'm joined with our CEO Rob Whiteside, and we'll be discussing the Autumn Statement and what this means for UK innovation and R&D tax credits. There were a lot of changes announced uh, last week in the Autumn Statement, and we're going to be looking at an overview of what these changes are, Um, so Rob's going to give us an insight into those, and we'll be looking at the challenges and some of the benefits um, of these changes. So yeah, Rob, could we just start then um, with, if you could just give us a brief overview of the, the changes that were announced in the Autumn Statement? Yeah,
1: of course. Thanks, Alex, and thanks for putting this podcast together. It's really great to be able to share different type of content with our current customers and hopefully future customers too. Yeah, so there are three main changes in particular I want to touch on today. The first is the merger of two distinct reliefs into one and what that means for people claiming. Uh, The second one is the release of a new classification of an R&D intensive SME. Uh, This had previously been announced in one form and that's iterating with the autumn statement into something a little different. And there are also some clarifications and revisions to the rules around subcontracting R&D. Uh, This is an area that affects certain businesses in particular. It's a little complicated, but the rules have been changed, and we'll hopefully try and clarify what that means at a very high level. Okay, so on the first point, the merger of two reliefs into one. Um, The R&D scheme has been around since around 2000. It was initially launched for SMEs, and a few few years later, that was expanded to include larger companies. That scheme eventually evolved into what we know today as the RDEC scheme. So for about 20 plus years now, we've had two schemes, an SME scheme and an RDEC scheme. And depending on the company and how it's set up, you would claim under one or the other scheme. The classification was broadly driven by the turnover of the company, the number of staff they employed, and the gross value of the assets on their balance sheet. So if you're below a certain threshold, you're an SME. And if you're above that, you're claiming under the RDEC scheme. So moving forward, both of those schemes will be merged together into a single RDEX scheme. So everyone will be able to apply under that scheme. This should hopefully simplify the rules for us as someone supporting our clients, for you as a claimant, but also importantly for HMRC themselves. They have to govern this scheme, they have to police it, and they have to explain it. So this simplification, um, by having just one scheme to manage, should make it easier for everybody. Okay, so the second point I mentioned was about a new classification of R&D intensive SME. So there was some information released about this by the government a little while ago, um, and a loss-making company whose expenditure on R&D was greater than or equal to 40% of its total expenditure would be classed as an SME intensive R&D company. And that would allow them to claim a higher rate of relief than your average SME. That definition has been made public. It isn't enacted yet, so people can't actually claim about against that, but they will be able to do that very soon. But despite that, that has that has been iterated a, a step further, and now it's only 30% of your expenditure in R&D relative to your total expenditure that allows you to classify for that. There is some subtlety as to when that expenditure falls and when your accounting period falls, which is really important. We're not going to cover that level of detail on the podcast, but we will be sharing other material from Empowered that will clarify that moving forward. This will really help companies at that early stage, probably pre-revenue, where they're investing a lot of their money in the R&D before they're able to take that to market. That's quite a challenging time for many businesses where they might struggle to raise capital because they haven't shown traction with that product yet. They're not generating revenue. So essentially businesses are in that very early stage, just stating just a new product idea before they take it to market. These hopefully will become incredible businesses within the UK that will support the economy going forward. And we really hope um, that we see a lot of really exciting businesses benefit from this and continue to grow and invest in the UK uh, marketplace. So on the last point, there's been some changes to the rules around contracting out R&D. I think there's two main elements to this. One is an overseas versus domestic component, and the other is which party the prime contractor or the subcontractor can benefit from the relief in terms of R&D. On the first one, the UK has been a bit of an outlier in allowing UK-based companies to claim tax relief on investment in companies carrying out R&D offshore. Um, So the change is really looking to drive the incentive to align with you outsourcing R&D to companies based in the UK rather than abroad. So the incentive unlocks when you do that and not necessarily when you do it abroad, apart from a very small number of exceptional situations. The second one is clarification on which party can benefit from the R&D relief. So the company deciding to do the R&D will benefit. We've taken the best of the RDEC and SME schemes and put these together into a new set of rules. So if you decide to outsource a task to a subcontractor that is to develop R&D. You have made the decision uh, to do the R&D and therefore you as the prime contractor will benefit from that. If you ask a subcontractor to do some work for you and in order to fulfill that work they have to do their own R&D then they will be able to benefit from that and and likely you may not even know that R&D has taken place. So there's the element around overseas versus domestic and then there's whether you as the prime contractor or the subcontractor can benefit. There's been a lot of Uh, detail that's been discussed and and challenged I guess in this area and this clarification I think is going to be welcomed by a lot of people.
0: Yeah thanks for that Rob that's really insightful. Um, Yeah I suppose it'd be good just to kind of focus in on all three of those areas a little bit more. So if we look at the merging of the RDEC and the SME scheme how do we see that um, affecting SMEs in particular? Sure
1: I think Reducing the complexity is a massive thing. Um, tax legislation, other legislation that companies have to follow. Uh, you have to be quite an expert to keep up with this and make sure you follow all the rules. Um, it still is complicated, so you do need to seek the right advice to make sure you're making the right decisions and acting in the right way. But the fact that there's only really one scheme now is going to take away uh, a lot of that complexity. Which scheme am I in? How will i get paid how much will i get these are all really important questions when it comes to a business planning its financial year and putting its financial model together so if you think you're in one scheme and it turns out to be the other scheme mm. the benefit could swing quite dramatically and if you've made investment decisions based on one outcome and you find yourself in another that can lead to quite a quite a challenging situation where you have to make quite short-term changes uh, to adjust so here the predictability of what you're going to get and when you're going to get it and when the rates um, are going to kick in is going to be a lot easier for
0: everyone. Yeah, that's really interesting. I suppose now it'd be great to, to, if you could just tell us a bit more about the R&D Intensive SME scheme um, as well. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure.
1: So I spent a few minutes telling you we're moving to one scheme, but in reality, the R&D Intensive scheme is still operating in line with the historic SME scheme, we hope that further legislation will reshape that and we will get to one holistic scheme for everybody. But for the moment, if you classify as an R&D intensive company, you will be claiming on the more traditional SME scheme than on the new combined scheme. That's a little bit of complexity that we hope will go away. So the government's made a number of changes to the rules and to the rates. The SME intensive rate is much closer to the historic rate of a loss-making company. And you have to be a loss-making company to benefit from this. So for companies doing genuine R&D, it's exciting to know they can still claim um, a reasonable amount of tax relief that will help them grow. The intensive number is going to be a challenge, I think, for everyone to be really crisp on. Mm. Um, You're going to have to know your total expenditure for the year. You're going to have to know how much you plan to spend on R&D and be Mm. confident with that decision. So we definitely recommend companies who think they're closely falling into this bracket To spend some time with an R and D advisor or somebody who can help them understand if the work they think is R and D genuinely is, because you're going to be making a prediction that defines how much money you think you're going to get back at some point in the future, and if you're building plans around that, you want to be as comfortable and as accurate as you can. Yeah. But yeah, the rate was initially announced at forty percent of your expenditure. Um, It's been dropped to thirty, so definitely more companies are going to qualify for this. Um, Many people listening will be in this phase or may have passed through this phase, but they probably remember where the whole company is focused on getting that breakthrough innovation. The people you're hiring, the money that you're spending is all focused on getting that product or that innovation unlocked so you can take it to market. Mm. As you grow and you take things to market, a lot of your costs shift from being pure R&D to sales and marketing and scaling the business. And that's really exciting. That's when you start to really unleash that innovation and see the benefit from it. Um, But I would say it'd be unusual for a company that's really scaling and to be investing in R&D to probably hit that threshold super easily. So you need to look at that really carefully. Uh, But it's exciting to see that companies doing deep R&D or being very early in their development phase can benefit from that relief and we really hope some exciting companies will make it through that early period and go on to be real powerhouses within the UK economy, definitely. Mm
0: -hmm. It would be great if you could just give us a little bit more information on, on contracted out R&D and, and the kind of rules around, around that.
1: Yeah, sure. So many companies have really talented teams in house and they can do R&D, but often companies will look for third parties to come in and help them with that. Um, if the primary company knows it needs R&D, it can ask a subcontractor to come and help with that and it can claim that benefit that's really important distinction that allows you to understand the real cost of doing that R&D to your business and making the claim. If you're outsourcing some work to someone else and they happen to be doing some R&D to enable them to complete that task, but you don't really recognize that as R&D, that's a decision that they're making. Mm. So that's a benefit that they can claim. It's really important, I think generally in the government's making this distinction, not to reward the same innovation twice. So if the subcontractor is doing R&D and making a claim and you're benefiting from the R&D and making a claim, there's effectively two benefits being paid on that. Mm. And the distinction has been a bit complex to understand, but it is much clearer now. Whoever makes the decision that they are enacting the R&D can benefit from that R&D. I think the extra layer to this is the shift in focus from rewarding overseas subcontractor work with a relief benefit to making that only available to work that's done onshore. Um, Obviously, if we're trying to power the UK economy, making sure the benefit claimant is spending money in the UK and investing in the UK, and any subcontractor um, is also in the UK, it should really lock that in and and really power the UK economy even further than Mm. it's done historically. There will be some challenges where people can only find certain expertise offshore, and there are some small allowances to, to look at that but overall it's about ensuring that the UK taxpayers' money gets reinvested in the UK economy. And as I said earlier, the UK has been a bit of an outlier in allowing that, and they're really just coming back in line with global norms for R&D.
0: Right. Yeah, thank you so much for that, Rob. Um, Yeah, it was really great to get your insight onto the uh, the overview of the changes. Um, It would be great just to get your insight onto kind of how you see the challenges and the opportunities for businesses with these recent upcoming changes coming.
1: Yeah, great. The opportunity is still there to gain rewards for the great R&D work that companies are doing, which will allow them to continue to reinvest and grow their company and benefit the economy. So those opportunities are still there. Some of the previous changes had reduced the benefit and some of that is coming back, particularly for subsets of, of the claimants out there. So the opportunity here to power your R&D, uh, to build a better economy and a better business is is still there. The challenge is things have changed. So some companies will never have claimed before, so they'll come to this process Uh, hopefully get the right support if they've never done it uh, and navigate through this, uh, no problem at all. Mm. I think the thing to watch are companies who feel like they know how to claim and they've claimed before successfully. There is a danger that they sleepwalk into the next claim process Mm. thinking method they followed, the amount of information they gave and the level of detail they provided historically is still gonna be appropriate. And also the level of return they got from the claim is going Mm. to be the same. Both the process and what you receive Has changed. And I think it's really important that companies catch up on these rules. We're giving you a high level view of that today. We'll publish some additional information to give you a bit more detail. But seek the right support. This is a process you do at best once a year. So to pretend to be able to stay on top of these iterations in the scheme and effectively claim is a hard process and not really something you should invest too much time in if you do it once a year. But there are people out there who think deeply about this, who can support you through that process. And I think at a time of substantial change like this, if you haven't reviewed your process or the support that you get, now is exactly the right time to do that. So we and others can certainly help navigate through this journey. There is a lot of detail. It may apply, it may not apply to you, but the worst case scenario is to get the process wrong or to think you're getting more or less than you're actually gonna get. Um, Hmm. And guidance and support can help you through that. The process is very much a multidisciplinary process. So whether you're You know, finance expert, that's a really important skill to bring to the claim, but in and of itself, it's not enough. You need to understand your numbers, you need to understand the innovation you've done, and you need to understand the R&D process. You need to bring all those things together to effectively do this. So somebody who's an expert on the numbers is really important, but they don't know all of the things that are involved in the claim. So yeah, seek the right support. This change is considerable. Small things can have a big impact on your planning and success, uh, and just make sure you get it right.
0: Yeah, so there has been a lot of change over the past couple of years. Um, How do you see these changes now affecting the UK R&D ecosystem? So look, change can be welcome, especially if it turns into something really positive for a business, but
1: change in itself brings ambiguity. And I think one of the biggest things is we are coming through a process where the government's been reviewing the scheme, making some changes, but we're coming to the end of that now. So what we can see already is that there's confidence that the R&D scheme is still an important thing for the UK government to run. So we can now see that the R&D scheme isn't going away. It's definitely changed and some people will benefit more and some people less um, moving forward than they did in the past. But what people can now work on is confidence. Confidence that they know what the process is, Mm -hmm. confidence that they know what the potential rewards could be. And that's only going to help them invest in their business Um, and the ambiguity going away is is really welcome. So yeah, I think it's exciting to see that the UK can still become an innovative economy. Some of our rules have fallen in line with other countries, so we still remain on an equally competitive footing with other companies. But if you're duty bound to invest in the UK because of where you're located, I think you can take confidence the scheme is still gonna be there to support you. If you're looking to move investment into the UK, you know the R&D scheme exists and that it will uh, allow you to conduct certain work and, and gain from that. So I think the UK is still very much open for business. R&D is still something that gets rewarded and a really important part of our ecosystem. And whatever the changes are, however you feel about them, the fact we're coming through that and we have stability and clarity uh, yeah. is, is very welcome by everyone.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think with, with Empowered as well, obviously we're, we're feeling the effects of the changes as well. So it'd be good uh, just to understand you know, what Empowered are doing um, to adapt to these changes? and
1: Yeah, so obviously we, we do multiple claims every single day. So any change in the method or the process uh, requires us to you know, evolve the way that we work. Um, so we've been going through a substantive period of change. We use a software platform and a team of experts together to help people claim. So we had to make sure all of our experts are up to date on the latest rules, not only so they conduct the claim appropriately, but also so they can communicate to our prospects and customers what's changing and help them manage their way through that process. And of course, the software platform, which does a lot of the heavy lifting and makes claiming much simpler for everyone, that has to codify the rules of the scheme. So we've had to adapt that technology as well. And some completely new processes about submitting different documents to the government have had to be factored in there. So yeah, I guess in short, we've done all the hard work, so claimants don't have to. If this process was happening every day, then I would urge people to develop a skill set and become really good at this. It happens, like I say, once a year. Mm. You can't get it wrong. Uh, That causes delays and problems, but you can work with people who do it every single day and can bring that expertise to bear. So yeah, we've been preparing for a long time. We stay close to the legislation. There are more things to come. We stay ahead of that. Yeah, we help people claim, but more importantly, we manage our relationship with our clients over the long run. So we try to bring foresight as to what's coming and how that can affect them in future years to bear on our conversations. So it's not just about getting that claim done, but it's about ensuring you know how to evolve your business over multiple years, and you work with a partner that can give you foresight of what's coming and deal with those changes with the least amount of complication.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so, so where do you think all of this is, is gonna lead us to then?
1: Well, look, I think it leaves us in a good place. right? The R&D scheme still exists. Companies can continue to leverage that where they're doing great innovation and hopefully that'll bring some real powerhouse companies, as I said earlier, through the UK and make sure we remain a leader in whatever discipline it is, whether it's technology, whether it's pharmaceuticals, whether it's engineering. Um, companies can still benefit from doing the great work, uh, getting a tax relief and reinvesting that. The change has been a little challenging and there's a little bit to play out, but generally we're settling now into a steady period. So, yeah, let's stop worrying about the R&D scheme. Uh, Let's get back to innovating. Let's get back into building some great businesses, but continue to unlock the relief that's available to make sure that doesn't stop. So I think it's a really Mm. important moment as we come through this now to recognize that this change is bedding in and the scheme will exist for many years to come.
0: Thanks, Rob, for that. That was really insightful. Um, there's been a lot of change, so it was really great to get your insight. Um, yeah, and hopefully we can chat again soon. Thanks. No worries. This podcast has been brought to you by Empowered, a platform and service for R&D tax credit claims.